Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Kevin Amolsch. He is a successful real estate investor and private money lender. He and his companies have closed on over 2,400 transactions as a buyer, seller, or private money lender. He spent two decades as a real estate investor and 16 years in real estate lending. He's also the author of The 45-Day Investor, a frequent speaker, and has been quoted in the Las Vegas Review Journal, the Denver Post, Yahoo Real Estate, Denver Business Journal, and Forbes. So we are super excited to have you on the show today, Kevin. Welcome, and how are you doing? Eileen, I'm so excited to be here. You told me a little bit about the audience right before we hit record here, and I'm just super excited to tell them a little bit about my story and see if I can help them in some way. So I'm really grateful for being here. Kevin, I know I appreciate you coming on. And can you share with us a little bit more, give us a little bit more insight into you know your background and how you got all started in real estate? Yeah, so it's really, really early on. I was just turning 21 years old and I was trying to decide what to do with a small amount of savings that I had. And so I started reading books about uh, investing and you know, that Purple Bible was one of those, the Rich Dad, Poor Dad that we all hear about. And um, my gosh, that book changed my life. It really, Robert Kiyosaki in that book really talks about real estate as being one of the best investments that you can explore. So I started doing that and I bought my first house at just turning 21. And then I saw firsthand, look, this is going up in value. I'm renting it out for you know $400 a month. I'm getting the tax benefits. The tenant's paying off my mortgage for me. This is the vehicle that's going to make me wealthy. So I really just started focusing in on that and started doing a, a deal or two a month while I was in college, uh, no money down stuff. And what I learned, Eileen, was the deal, the structure of the deal all comes down to the financing of it. How are you going to, how are you going to fund the deal? How are you going to put it together? So I fell in love with that. I just went to the financing side, became a mortgage broker. And then here I am today. I run the mortgage funds and we, we make loans to real estate investors. Oh, so when you're in your 20s, I mean, that's still pretty early to start in real estate investing, buying your first house at 21. That's pretty incredible. And then so when you were buying other properties and doing, you know, one or two deals per year, were those for like long-term rentals as well? Yeah, it was actually one or two deals per month. Oh, per um, month. I was really, really focused in on it. And they were, you know, I did fix and flips. I did some wholesaling, but a lot of them, I was just building a rental portfolio. And I had 55 was my max, 55 rental units. These are all single family or like duplex kind of thing. So not, not an apartment or anything. Um, but that's right when... 2007 hit and interest rates started going up and rents started coming down. We were all in adjustable rates back then. And then that obviously led into 2008 and the crash. So we had to reduce our portfolio significantly during that time. So what you said was, you know, the structure of the deal is the main important part of any real estate transaction. How did you come across the private money lending space? And how did you even get into something like that? That's a great question. I mean, I was, I was fixing and flipping and doing all of these deals. And one of my funding sources basically recruited me to do um, conventional loans. And this was back before licensing or anything. And then I was 
doing, I was doing conventional loans for just, you know, everyday people. And what was so terrible is I would approve somebody for a loan, which they were approved for. And then this was, was when things were changing so fast, they would, they would not be approved. They would be disqualified or denied by the time they found their dream home. So then the conversation was, well, I can't actually fund you, even though I told you I could. I had no control. I needed to get control of my own business. So that's when I started raising private money and lending private money, because that way I could underwrite the file and I could service the loan. So how did you get started with you know raising private money? And when you approached, and then who are the people that you're approaching? Yeah, that's a good question. So I, I had my mentor at the time. And I mean, that's how a lot of people get started, right? Someone taking them under their wing. Her name was Susan. She was fantastic. Um, she had a very small little company. Her and I worked closely together. And she basically handed me one investor that had $100,000. So I started with one guy with $100,000. I lent that out to somebody. And then I learned that this was actually could be turned into a business. So I started trying to raise money. I raised my first two, three million dollars by just teaching little classes. How to invest in real estate. I'd go in front of a room of 10 people and sit to teach them how to fix and flip and say, oh, by the way, we could fund these fix and flips. Here's how much money you make if you fund it. And I and people wanted to invest with me. What did that structure of the first $100,000 loan that you did, what did that look like for you? What did that look like for the investor? And then what did it look like for the lendee or the lendee? Yeah, no one's ever as many times as I've been in, interviewed on different podcasts. No one's ever asked me that, so that's that's very interesting question, and I'm so glad you asked it because it's um, I'm a little embarrassed to share this with you, but this is <laughs> this is real life, right? So we charge four points at origination. One point is equal to the loan amount in a lender fee. So let's say it's a hundred thousand dollar loan, that would be a four thousand dollar fee, and then fifteen one five was the interest rate. It was a six-month loan, so it was enough time for them to fix up the property and resell it. They actually did really well. They made they made quite a bit of money on that flip. The investor did. Uh, the real estate investor did. My private money investor, I shared the points with him 50-50, and then he kept all of the all of the interest rate. So I got two thousand dollars for putting that deal together. He got two thousand dollars and fifteen percent uh no rate. I see. And so this was over a six-month period. It's over six months. It, it paid off sooner than that. Um, so these loans typically don't have prepayment penalties because there's fees. We really want to see these turnovers as quickly as possible. And look, nobody wants to pay 15% for very long. So they get in and out of these as quickly as possible. Um, I don't remember the exact time, but I do know that it was under six months time. So after that first deal, you said that you started teaching classes and from were the other investors that you started raising money from were those also students of yours as well? Yeah, I don't know if I'd say students because I, all the classes I've done were for free and I didn't take on any paid education at all. My objective was to raise money and lend money. And I just wanted to help both sides and get paid to do that. Um, so the, the the first couple, were, I mean, it was very small, you know, four or five, six people in the room. I remember one quick story. I remember one where... I was the only person in the room and it was like hitting the time when I was supposed to start and nobody was showing up. So I turned off the lights and I locked the door just because I didn't want the one person to show up. How embarrassing is that? So I, no one ended up showing up, thank God. So I didn't have anyone knocking on the door. But um, yeah, those were the, the very beginning years. That's, how, that's kind of how it was. 
I want to ask a quick question about that though, yeah. because a lot of people, especially when they're get, first getting started, they they want to share their knowledge and they might be in a, t- a similar type of situation where it's like you have those nerves and you're like, will anybody listen or will anybody like show up? And the same thing. Mm-hmm. What helped you move on to the next class that you're teaching and yeah. what helped you get over that fear? <laughs> oh gosh. So I'm I'm from Denver, so I'm a big Denver Bronco fan, and Sean Elway is huge here. And he has this famous quote. He says, plan B, plan A is our plan B. I think that's so, a lot of successful business owners live by that. Like, we are going to make plan A work. Even if I fail here or here or here, I am going to keep moving and make plan A work. So I don't know if I can tell you exactly what the motive was that kept me going, but I do know that you probably talk to a lot of experts that talk about this, but your big why or your why helps you get through those obstacles. I just didn't have a quit in me. I mean, it sounds so simple of a way to answer that, but I just didn't have quit. I was going to succeed. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Once you started expanding, started getting more investors, how did the structure now change from one to many? Yeah. So I was getting feedback early on that values were going up and and it's expensive here and investors didn't want so much money all in one deal. They wanted to be able to enter the market or enter this industry with a much smaller investment amount. They wanted diversification because look, if you invest in a house and you and there's something that you didn't see or there's a default, I mean, that could be a big impact on your entire portfolio. So they wanted diversification. And then finally, they wanted some liquidity. But private notes aren't liquid. You'll read about that and people will say you could go out and sell these notes, but it's just not true. You you can sell them, but you're better be willing to accept a discount. You're not going to sell them at face value. So there's really not good liquidity in this market. So we created a fund that solved all three of those problems. Now everyone can invest for 25. And this fund, we're talking about my first one, $25,000 you can get in. We're going to diversify it over lots of properties. And if you want out, give me a little bit of notice and I'll get your money back to you. Um, So that was back in 2009 when I started that very first one and it solved all the issues that the investors were telling me they had. So how do you get started with doing what you're doing and yeah. being able to raise funds or raise funds from other investors and, and lend it out? Like, what are the steps that you had to take to be able to be qualified to do something like this? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, and I was talking so much about my story, but for, for the listeners, maybe they have a little bit of money. They just want to loan their own money and they're not trying to create a big empire like I was trying to create. So how would they get started? Yeah, if you have the money, the, the great thing about this business is you don't have to hunt for real estate deals. That's the hardest part of the business, honestly. 
finding the quality deal that's going to be profitable. And then when you find the deal and you take it down, you're the one taking all the risk. On the financing side of it, all you got to do is find the person that wants the money, which they're everywhere, and let them go out and find the deals. And then them take it down and let them take the risk. As a lien holder, you're in the very first one to get paid. So if there's any issues, you get paid first. So that's why I like this business so much. So for someone just starting, I would I would focus on networking and trying to find borrowers that want to fix and flip houses and borrow money from you. And this is an amazing business because you can create all kinds of win-win situations. You could do like I did and charge points and an interest rate and keep it real simple. Or you could participate, maybe take some of the upside or, or be a partner. There's all kinds of different ways you could do it. Are there qualifications or are there uh, licensings that you also need to be able to do it if you wanted to scale bigger than just maybe like an individual? Yeah. every So in Colorado, there's no licensing at all on the, to lend the money out. I do have to be licensed to bring capital in, but the lending out is no license at all. Now, we do a lot of business in Minnesota as well, and that's the opposite. There's ex- uh, exceptions to licensing for bringing money in, but you absolutely have to be licensed to lend the money. So every state's going to be very different. So it's hard for me to answer that question. I mean, um, the way I would answer that is I would really talk to a competent attorney. I know everyone says it, but it's really true. <laughs> I would talk to an attorney to find out what the licensing requirements are. Chances are very high that there isn't, as long as you're making very specific business use loans. And one of the things also, especially when you're Maybe you're, you know, you're working your full-time job and you have some money to spare just sitting around. You want to invest in something like this. The topic often or the question often comes is, well, how am I protected? You mentioned liens is one of those things. But aside from just being like uh, in the lien position on the loan, what are some of the other ways that, you know, we can protect ourselves, especially like on the structuring of the deals and the terms and other things like that, that we should be focusing on to making sure, you know, we're lending out good deals to good people? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. It's actually not just something that I could just answer, but I could say this. I have a report that I wrote that you and I talked about right before you record that I'm happy to share with everybody. But there's a couple of things that you want to do when you're looking at a deal to underwrite it. And the first, I believe, is look at the borrower. We really focus on success of our clients. So we want to make sure that they have the ability to even complete the project. So we're looking at their experience. We're looking at their credit. We're looking at their income absolutely looking at their assets. What are their reserves? You know, businesses go out of business all the time, even though they're profitable. And the reason for that is lack of reserves and cash flow. So as long as you have reserves, you can stay safe and weather a storm and over the budget or over your timeline or something like that. Outside of the borrower, we want to underwrite the deal. So is it a simple fix and flip? Or maybe it's just an appraisal and an inspection and then we're good. Is it a commercial project where we want to look at soils and, and environmental reports and and that kind of thing. Um, so two things, borrower and deal. Make sure you're in first position. Here's a couple of tips. Make sure you're in first position always. The $80,000 loss we talked about before you hit record was a junior junior loan where they did not have the ability to pay off the first. So if you're in a junior position without the ability to pay off a first, you have no position at all. You have no collateral at all. So first position only. Make sure you have the appropriate title insurance, which is a lender policy and Hazard insurance. A lot of hazard, a lot of insurance companies will write landlord policies for fix and flips. The problem with that is every landlord policy has a vacancy clause, which says if you're vacant for 30 days, we don't insure you at all. Well, it's a fix and flip. It's going to be vacant for 30 days. 
So that's a, that's the wrong policy. It means you have no insurance. In fact, we I've got tons of stories, but I have one where we had a, a tenant turn or a buyer or a borrower of ours turn off the heat. They were upset because we were, were asking for them to make the payments. Turned off the heat and left the left the house vacant. End up breaking a pipe in the house, flooded the the property, and our insurance didn't cover it. That's one of the advantages of diversification because we didn't impact us that much. But if you were a single person invested in that project, that would have been a big hit to your portfolio. Did I answer your question? Yes. I kind of went on a rant there, but there's, there's just a lot to it. What a good advice would be to, to work with professionals while you're learning the business. Maybe work with someone to help you underwrite a file or buy a loan from somebody that sells them. We sell some loans or invest in a fund so you can get that diversification. What does your typical deal size look like? And what is the criteria that your company, your firm looks for? Yeah, so we're, we're, our, our average loan size is a little over 700000 but that we're 20% commercial, which are much higher amounts and 80% residential. Um, and then we invest in, in some markets that have a higher dollar amount. The criteria, so we loan up to 70% of a property's completed value, but we're going to make sure they get to the completed value. So we withhold the money to do the construction, and then we go out and inspect and issue like construction draws. Um, so we're basing our loan on the after repaired value or ARB, and, and we're managing that or helping manage that, at least the cash flow piece. Um, and then we want to see liquidity. That really is the number one way for our clients to be safe. So it's 10% of the loan amount as an absolute minimum in a liquid account that's set aside for reserves. If you have those two, good quality deal that's going to be profitable and some liquidity, we really do want to try to work with you. Awesome. And so, Kevin, for you, what is your next focus? I'm hyper-focused right now on growing Pine Financial. So we're we're 130 million right now. And and I see my, my vision is a billion dollars under management. So we're just focused on getting there. Um, now I do take profits from the company and invest in real estate, like a lot of your listeners probably do. So I have my own portfolio that I'm growing as well, really concentrated on cash flow and value add, cash flow and property. So I just bought a warehouse building and we got Goodyear as our tenant and we're renegotiating that lease now. So that's a side hustle, of course, but it's just growing the portfolio, but really it is growing Pine Financial. So Kevin, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Oh, the questions you warned me about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel so incredibly grateful to have found this industry. And I owe it to that book, Kiyosaki. But you know, there's a lot of books that I read along the way too. But I, I feel so incredibly grateful. I would not have the freedom I have now. I'm humbled to say it, but I, I could retire at any time. And and I got to tell you that that, that feeling is, is so powerful. Now I'm able to, to sit on uh, boards for Boys and Girls Club, for example, or other charities. And I'm, I'm able to donate time and money. And so that, that all feels great. I wouldn't have been able to do that without real estate. And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Well, it's possible to take a loss. So 2008 taught me some very, very important lessons that I will never forget. And look, we're going into a recession again. I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that. So I feel very prepared now. I wasn't then. Uh, So what I would have known would be that values of real estate can go down. And what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate? It's all up here at your mind. It really is. Everybody can be successful. 
I don't remember who said it, who actually whose quote this is, but my dad told me this when I was just a young kid. I, I might have been 10 or 11 years old. And he says, you know what? Whether you believe you could do it or you, or you don't, you're right. And I've lived my life by that. And Kevin, where can our listeners find out more about what you're doing in this space? Well, you can find me at pinefinancialgroup.com or the report that I mentioned. I, look, I see people lose money all the time. They call me when it's too late. They call me, Kevin, can you please help me? This is what I did. The borrower's not paying me, whatever it is. So I wrote a report about it. It's just www.thepinereport.com. It's totally free. You can go there and get that. At least that way you could, if you're going to go out and do this business or you want to learn more about the lending side of real estate, that report will help a lot. And this is a great site because it's passive and it's safe. Awesome. Kevin, thank you so much for all of your time here today. I really appreciate it. I I really appreciate you and your listeners. And yeah, I appreciate you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.